welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to another roundtable episode here at Novik. I'm your host, Devin Becker, and today I am joined by, as usual at this point, uh, Aaron Bush, co-founder of Novik. Here we got Matt Dion a regular Novik contributor, and Felipe Mata, head of studio at Fun Plus. How are you guys feeling? Feeling hey, good. Hey. Hello. Good, good. Hello. Man, I got a question. I know you went on your honeymoon to Japan and Malaysia recently. You said you ate a lot of food. What was the, the best cuisine, best food that you ate on your trip? Uh, I, I, I will be skewered by my in-laws if I don't say the Malaysian cuisine was the best. Um, so, I mean, we, it's, it's a, like a melting pot of Chinese and Indian and Malaysian food. And so you get all sorts of amazing, um, you know, dishes from each sort of, um, heritage. And so, you know, we had some amazing curry, we had some amazing dim sum. I mean, it was, it was really good. Looking forward to Sounds that food good. blog. <laughs> cool well we got a lot of good stuff to talk into uh, talk about today and dig into which is it's i mean post gdc right so uh, lots of good stuff um today we've got uh, cma coming around on the microsoft activision deal unity joining the ai party as everyone else is uh, web3 games collective being formed a bit of controversy around dark and darker uh, appropriately named then uh, rovio rejecting platika's bid should be interesting. And some good deep dives on Tencent's earnings, Counter-Strike 2's announcement, which you may have heard of, and Epic's Creator Economy 2.0. So if you want to dig into that uh, on CMA coming around, Aaron? Yeah, we got lots of good topics to dig, to dig into. But uh, the first one, the the UK's Competitive and Markets Authority, otherwise known as the, the CMA, it lightened its opposition regarding Microsoft and the Activision Blizzard deal this past week. So in short, the CMA no longer believes that the acquisition would hamper competition in the console market. And uh, according to a statement that they put out, they said, um, and I quote, it will not result and substantial lessening of competition in the console gaming services because the cost to Microsoft of withholding Call of Duty from PlayStation would outweigh any gains from taking such action. So uh, they're finally coming around to the idea that Xbox will keep Call of Duty multi-platform, which if anyone has been paying attention has been super obvious from the very beginning. But I guess congrats to the CMA for for finally catching on. Um, strangely, they also made clear that this that this change of mine does not represent a change in their earlier research about the deal's threats to the cloud gaming market. And so my guess is they're they're really just sloths at um, digesting information and making these decisions because, you know, we've so, talked about this many times before, like not only is that like the wrong thesis to like hinge this deal on or to like stop a deal going through based on cloud gaming of all things. Uh, but Xbox has recently struck deals with a bunch of like third party 
um, cloud gaming companies to bring the entire Xbox PC catalog to those businesses. So, um, you know, the bottom line, I think this is a, a win for Activision and Microsoft that tilts the odds even more favorably towards the deal growing, going through. I do suspect that the cloud gaming piece, that'll get cleared up sooner than later. It's just these regulatory bodies are are slow to to take action and, you know, get their statements out. Um, and then once that happens, probably with the CMA, I would guess the other regulators fall into line. If you look at the stock of Activision Blizzard, it's risen from $75 to $85 over the past month. And the buyout price is $95. So there's still the market still is pricing in some uncertainty. But basically, that uncertainty got cut in half over the past month because of statements like this. Um, so um, it's looking more likely that the deal goes through. And I would guess a month from now that we'll have some final answer to this saga. And I can't wait because I'm tired of giving <laughs> giving these updates. They're really annoying. Well, hopefully that goes through. Who, who is the main 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 one missing to to give uh, to say something well, I think about the, it. in the US the FTC still has some a lawsuit or something out that needs to get cleared up I forget the details of what exactly they're held up about I'm sure it's similar regarding call of duty and exclusives and things like that um, and I don't even know if the EU has given full approval either so I think like those three we're still waiting for final takes um, but you know how these things work is they all, I think they all tend to come in line pretty quickly uh, once they make some more decisions. But um, yeah, once those big three get approved or not, we'll get an answer hopefully shortly. Well, hopefully in the meantime, everyone's actually preparing for the merger. So when it actually happens, it doesn't take forever and everyone drags their feet like the rest of the government does. So it should be yeah. good. If I remember when this was first announced, they initially predicted it would be completed by July of 23, something like that. Um, so, you know, they're still on track. Fair enough. Well, Matt, uh, you got a good update here about the Web3 Games Collective? Yeah, yeah, this will be a quick one. I, I thought this was interesting, caught my eye. So um, a group of four Web3 gaming companies, let's say, have come together to form what they're calling the Web3 Games Collective. So the four entities are YGG, Yield Guild Games, uh, Game 7, Phoenix Games, and Magic Eden. Um, and I'm going to quote here, the founding members will leverage their collective expertise and resources to focus on improving discovery, distribution, and sustainable growth for high potential quality blockchain game projects. Um, the reason I thought this was noteworthy is because of the entities involved coming together. Uh, you know, we've seen some other groups form like I think there's like a blockchain gaming alliance there's some others out there um, but the sort of parts that make up the whole here you have YGG which is like a guild slash DAO slash investor game seven which is a DAO or plans to be a DAO um, Phoenix games a publisher slash investor and Magic Eden a marketplace so you have some of the kind of major components uh, of the web3 gaming ecosystem kind of coming together and supporting each other um, with the parts that they individually cannot do. Um, and, and then the last bit I'll mention here, um, you know, back at the at the turn of the year when Novik did their predictions, um, one of my predictions, I'm going to pat myself on the back here, was that there's going to be some consolidation in the Web3 space. Now, no one is acquiring anyone here, but they are coming together um, to do something collectively. 
And another sort of data point in that trend that you could look at would be the news that we saw recently from Immutable and Polygon, for example. Again, coming together to lift all boats in the Web3 gaming ecosystem. So anyways, a small bit of news, but I thought it was interesting to see these groups coming together and and trying to move the space forward. Yeah, we've definitely seen quite a few of these put together. I think this is the third or fourth one we've seen from the the Web3 metaverse side of things. And it seems like a lot of early alliances being formed, uh, people just kind of establishing some ground, realizing, you know, if they're in early, they need to establish some territory. So I expect to see people actually bounce out of these. Some other people join late, more of these being formed. It's... uh, it's it's interesting to see this like kind of early forming in the space, but I can't imagine all of these will like really last or have like relevance long term. But I, I I gotta imagine some of them will, and it's you know people consolidating power to some extent early on, just you know, just fine. Uh, Felipe, you have a update here on Unity and AI that should be interesting. Yeah, I think this is quite interesting, but also maybe quite sore because they haven't shared much, much uh, detail. So while developing in Unity has always been fast, it looks like it might be about to get a whole lot faster with the use of AI. So they've shared the video uh, that uh, this how this could be done in Unity. So they, they saw just text, uh, so some prompts uh, that illustrate a little bit uh options that you could do with AI, like creating characters, designing levels, adding content like NPCs, uh, modifying the camera, or changing the look and feel of uh, your game. Uh, But they saw the text of the prompts and nothing visual on top of that, which, uh, I don't know, feels a bit strange, right? Like with the next-gen AI being so visual, like they haven't shown anything, uh, it's a bit interesting. And uh, I, I was here few weeks ago, speaking uh, about Roblox, uh, also uh, announcing that they are going to, into AI and they were like showing uh, a demo with how uh, using AI could enhance the capabilities of the developers. But uh, in the Unity case, they haven't uh, shown any details. So they just showed the video and then they have a call to action to join the uh, registration for, for, a beta, for a beta. So... I don't know. What do you think? Are they trying to hide their cars or just, uh, I don't know, buy some time? My guess is they're just trying to get in on the hype because it's certainly at a frenzy um, and might as well capitalize as much as you can when people are talking about AI and looking at all the tools and stuff so much right now. And if it, it takes them a bit of time to you know build out those tools, um, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I imagine doing that in a super complex system like Unity will take time to to get right and really build out. But uh, yeah, it feels, feels a bit like a PR move now uh, more than substance, but I imagine it'll translate into yeah. substance eventually. Yeah. Also, last week, there was a, a, a tweet feed about uh, a proof of concept of integrating ChatGPT with Unity, which looked very promising and very powerful, but also like it was a proof of concept and the developer admitted that it's hard to make it work uh, nice. Like many times, like it doesn't do exactly what you what you need. But yeah, I think like if Unity managed to, to, to make it right, is going to be uh, what did that? Powerful. What did that mean? I'm just curious. Integrating Chat GPT with Unity, just like you type in prompts and it spins out visuals, or yeah, yeah, you can uh, make make uh, prompts uh, and and 
make actions. Like uh, the the demo was showing, like creating hundred blocks, then placing them, and yeah, you you uh, put the prompt like place them in this location, and immediately you have all of them wow. moved, and then adding some some layers, making them fall. Like, I'm curious if this maybe we don't know, but was this an announcement that came out of GDC? Or just a sort of standalone announcement. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just wonder, like, I haven't. Unity sort of has to has to say something. Um, you know, if people are putting together, as you say, like prototypes to use J- ChatGPT in Unity, and you know, certainly Roblox is doing it. I'm sure Epic is is working on it as well. Like, Unity needs to show something, if only to say, like, hey, we're working on it. So, you know, the street knows that they're working on it. People get excited as investors. You know, they can attract potential new hires. They can attract developers to their platform. They don't want to get left behind, even if their stuff isn't necessarily ready to show the world. They kind of have to say something. Especially since we kind of live in a two-engine world at this point. Right. And both of them have to, like, try and keep some kind of parity between the two. Otherwise, they look pretty bad. I mean, all this stuff, though, I feel like is going to take time for people to actually integrate into some real-world workflow like people that are in the middle of working on a game, unless they've got some some slack time in there, are not going to get a chance to utilize this stuff, right? It's like maybe a hobby project where you try and figure out how to use it. Um, but all these kinds of tools uh, are going to take time to actually be part of games. I think. I mean, outside of uh, the only, the only one I can remember actually being part of like a major game was the the procedural art or the AI art stuff that was used on High on Life, try and help prototype stuff. Um, so. I, you know, it'll it'll take time before we see more of this, but I don't doubt that will be the last we hear from Unity about AI stuff, even if the stuff they actually uh, introduce is not that great. And uh, Aaron, we got some news on Rovio and Playtika. Yep. So it was announced that Rovio has now rejected Playtika's bid to get acquired. And if you've listened to previous episodes, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Um, but also the saga for for Rovio. Uh, isn't over yet. Rovio is still in discussions with other unnamed suitors. Um, and at least in my opinion, it wouldn't be shocking if some kind of deal is announced or goes through in the next few weeks. I guess we'll uh, we'll see just because um, Rovio has great IP and it's a it's a company, if you just look at their stock, it's pretty much treaded water since they IPO'd six years ago. Um, so, you know, as they're looking to best sure serve shareholders getting an exit could make decent sense for them but uh, obviously as we're seeing it they're, they're being picky about you know not just taking the money but picking a right destination for the business as well um, what's interesting too is that Playtika's stock also rose when the when it was announced that the deal wasn't going through um, which maybe is the opposite of what some people would expect, because even if you think on a qualitative level, um, that sure, this could make sense for why Playtico wants Rovio. They have great IP, proven games, adds genre diversification, etc. But when you start looking at the numbers, it is kind of hard to swallow. It would have been an all cash deal of 735 million, I think is what was said, which essentially is all the cash that Playtica has on hand. And Playtika's net debt right now of $1.6 billion is already like 40% of its market cap. Um, So any big deals put a bit more financial strain on Playtika. And as we've seen in the past with Playtika, they haven't exactly created the best track record for 
M&A and integrating studios and have those studios and their their big games succeed. And so perhaps the the market kind of viewed this as like uh, as like nice like sidestepped another value destructive M&A move. Um, which is an unfortunate position that Platika is in, that that's what the market might think of something like this. But um, I think that is the reality of it right now. So so that's that. I also just wanted to quickly ask you all <laughs> if you have any guesses on where Rovio ends up or if they even do end up going anywhere. And if not, that's okay, too. Is Are there any like big publishers looking to acquire or are they kind of like tightening their belts and we should be looking at like private equity or something like that? Uh, yeah, I don't know about private equity. I do think that companies are looking to acquire. They're just being very selective. And I could imagine in mobile right now how that's just harder um, in particular. But I mean, we, we do know. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is out there still, you know, trying to get a big deal done. Um, uh, I mean, Take-Two recently made a small acquisition. And um, all of these companies have a ton of cash for the most part, that they can put to work and historically have wanted to be pretty diligent with M&A. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, with Rovio and their IP, it's at least a conversation. Um, it's, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe nothing happens. I guess we'll see. I think this is the second time they played a bit on, on Rovio, right? So do you think that maybe they, they try again, like before... The, the deal closes with somebody I, else? I doubt it. Uh, maybe it's not impossible, but if they have to throw even more money to get Playtika or to get Rovio locked in, I I feel like that'd be even more destructive for Playtika. Yeah, especially the way the stock responded, right? It's like, all right, guys, you're, you're done with this deal acquisition. We're not going to see Playtika outside Rovio's window with a boombox at some point trying to make this work, so... <laughs> Hopefully that was the last time we see someone that's actually a better suitor show up for Rovio. Also, Tencent could be a, a random dark horse in all of this too. Um, I know they're still looking to conduct a lot of M&A. They've still been making deals. Um, and it's slowed down, but I'm sure they'd be willing to pick it back up at some point. But yeah, I mean, it, there's so much uncertainty around this right now. But I'm excited to see where it ends up. Well, hopefully uh, Rovio ends up in the right hands. We don't want to see all the IP go to waste, of course. Speaking of uh, IP issues here, we've got some controversy around dark and darker. Uh, take it away, Matt. Yeah, so I don't know if you all have heard of this game, Dark and Darker. It was in like an early playtesting phase and not a full release on Steam. It's kind of an extraction shooter, but it's it's set in like a fantasy setting. So like knights and wizards and skeletons and things like that. And so you go into this dungeon and you're trying to extract from the dungeon with different weapons and magic and things like that. So this game um, had had garnered a bit of attention um, during its early playtest, but it's also embroiled in some controversy. Um, the developer, which is called Iron Mace, uh, is made up of at least one ex-Nexon developer, probably more. Um, and, and this developer has been accused of acquiring and transferring without authorization more than 11,000 key build files from a previous project at Nexon for which they were terminated from Nexon. Um, and so, so Nexon filed a complaint and had this game removed from Steam uh, as a result of this. Actually, um, Iron Mace's uh, studios, their offices, 
were raided by the Korean police. Um, and so, of course, they have denied all these allegations. There's no clear resolution at this point other than the game is not on Steam anymore. Um, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, I, I, you know, I played it a little bit. I don't know if you all had a chance to play it. I first read about it. Um, Ran Mo wrote a, an article about it. Shout out to Ran. He's a great writer. Um, that's where I first learned about this game. And it's fun. It's punishingly difficult, in my opinion. Um, but um, yeah, I only played it a little bit before it was taken down. So I don't know. Did you all play it? Yeah. Brutal game. Uh, it, it had a lot of hype too, and I think pretty pretty warranted to some extent for especially for the the extraction genre being something very different, and and something that I think people were are still really excited about with so few extraction games actually really kind of seeming right. to hit the right mark. So uh, this is a pretty big deal for a game that had a huge amount of potential. I think to to get take it down like completely pulled off steam like this. Do you think this slows down the growth of the extraction market just single-handedly this issue? Because I know we've talked before and written elsewhere that like the extraction shooter market, especially as Battle Royale dies down, um, that something new needs to come in and extraction shooter might be like among like the best bets of an emerging trend in the shooters market. And obviously, you know, Darker Darker isn't the only player in that space but to in order for you know a a genre like that to go to the next level it does need those new games to push it there and so is dark and darker being removed and i guess we'll see what happens next but does that like actually have like an impact you think on the trajectory of extraction shooters maybe being the next wave or is that trend much bigger than what this game provides from my perspective, I think it's only going to accelerate the trend. Like, you know, th- there was such positive buzz around the game before it was taken down. Even if it never resurfaces, you know, they sort of proved the concept um, that, you know, this can be done in different settings outside of your traditional military simulation. Um, and there's other ways to apply it. Now, this is first person. It doesn't have to be a first person shooter. It could be third person. could be... I don't know, like an ARPG type of game. It could be all sorts of things. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with um, Tencent and Arena Breakout, which is their big title. It's coming on mobile. Granted, that's more of a traditional extraction shooter, military simulation, but um, I don't think this is going to slow things down at all. I think it's going to speed it up. I mean, you, you see a window, right? You go, hey, if they're, if they're held off for now, that's one less competitor I have to deal with if I get out sooner than later. We actually saw some some pretty good uh, feedback and and hype around Dead Drop as well uh, from Doctor Disrespect's company, the the Midnight Society one. That that looked pretty phenomenal as well, and also pretty different. So now's a great opportunity, really, to try and get this stuff out there. I mean, the the big hype was just around early access playtest for Darker Darker, right? So it's right. like now's the time for other games to look at that opportunity. To like, hey, maybe we should do an early access thing, get the hype built up for our stuff while people can't potentially even try Dead or Darker Darker anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, if this game truly was, you know, pilfered from Nexon, surely Nexon has their own game that they're working on that they're mm-hmm. going to try and push out. Um, and even beyond that, there are a number of companies out there that are known for, let's say, fast following or um, cloning would be a less charitable way of saying uh, <laughs> saying that. So there are plenty of companies out there that are opportunistic and look for these sorts of scenarios to step in and, you know, they see a business opportunity, they're going to take it. 
I mean, could, could you imagine if Nexon was somehow to uh, able to turn this into a legal battle where they're able to actually just acquire Dark and Darker, essentially, and be like, all right, cool. Now we have all the hype behind this. We can just keep it going and and uh, build off that. But I imagine uh, if there's pending court cases and things like that, it'll probably take a while. I mean, I'm not sure how uh, the law works down there in regards to IP, whether it's different than the states, but that would be a, a pretty interesting battle. Uh, but hopefully... If there, uh, if there is, you know, all this takedown, there actually is proof. But at the same time, I would hate to see a game with a lot of potential like this go down. And I, I would love to see it just dismissed and they get back to work. What can you do, though? Uh, speaking of Tencent, uh, you mentioned earlier, Aaron, uh, that we got some some news around their earnings. Mm-hmm. So Tencent reported its Q4 and full year results last week. And since it's the largest gaming company in the world by revenue, why not? talk about it um and also just as a short plug davic pro also just released its full report on Tencent's quarter which will dig into stuff we probably won't today so if interested check that out but big picture um overall revenue is essentially flat for the quarter and the year uh but obviously with a company as massive as Tencent, there's a million pieces that play into that the company is also on a major quest to cut costs right now it itself is accelerating into AI. It's finding new growth avenues and its social apps like WeChat and much, much more that we won't talk about. The gaming piece, though, which represents about 30% or a third of overall revenue, uh, was also unsurprisingly mixed in its results. And if you look at the, the fourth quarter, domestic games revenue was down 6%, while international games revenue, which is half the size of the domestic business, um, it increased 5%. And even though there are a zillion games and studios at play here that have that impact those numbers one way or another, the bottom line really is that regulatory pressures continue to harm Tencent at home. So Tencent has inc- increasingly prioritized growing elsewhere. Uh, but despite the domestic game approvals freeze that lasted you know, a whopping 18 months for Tencent, that has finally come to an end. And the CCP has now improved several new domestic games, as well as more recently in the past week, I think, um, the first import games uh, approvals as well. So I think that Tencent's domestic growth engine will start to return again over the next year. But obviously, the the government's demeanor toward gaming has proven to, to not be something that can be fully relied on. So... I guess we'll just continue to see how how that goes. Um, We'll also continue to see Tencent prioritize growing in the rest of the world, I think. So in the earnings call, management essentially stated that they have mid-single digits market share of the global gaming market so that there's there's much more room to grow and for them to continue taking share. And, you know, we all have seen Tencent operate over the past few years enough to know generally what its levers of growth have been they've done you know a ton of MA and investments they have you know created their own games uh much of which you know launched domestically some of which get taken overseas um you know third they have co-development deals with leading western publishers um and then fourth they've started launching new studios around the world that are more that are more Western in DNA, made by Western talent for Western players. Um, And it's my hunch, though, that given the changes in the market, the changes at Tencent and changes geopolitically, that the company's prioritization of those levers 
uh, may change or maybe already have changed. So um, my, my question for the group that I think will be interesting to discuss is whether you think there are certain international growth levers for Tencent that they will um, lean less into or more into in the next few years compared to the past? Like, how is Tencent's strategy fundamentally going to, to shift going forward? So I have one question. Like, most of the of the revenue of Tencent in gaming is from mobile, right? Um, I think it's a big piece, but obviously it extends well beyond that as well. But yes. Yeah, I would I would bet that the, they're... Like one one of the levers is to go cross platform and create like cross platform uh, experiences, so leverage the the position that they have uh, strong uh, with with as you said like IPs and development capabilities and like create fully cross platform experiences. That's an interesting point. Um, didn't they just release uh, like a Genshin um, kind of clone, uh, Tower of Fantasy or something like that? Um, maybe I haven't played it, so maybe I'm you know, completely talking on my ass here, but, um, I thought that they made like a Genshin clone. Uh, so to your point about cross platform, but, um, I think also they're going to start to, um, trend upwards in terms of like fidelity and like head more towards PC console. Um, as they, if they're going to be expanding overseas, you know, larger PC console market overseas. Um, you know, I'm in the process of finishing up a piece for Novic Digest that will come out this coming weekend about, uh, MMOs, and they have a number of uh, companies in their portfolio that are actively working on MMOs. So that could be cross-platform, but that could also be um, PC console audience as well. So I think there's a lot of momentum, um, uh, both with Tencent and other publishers, towards MMOs as a genre to capture consumer attention to reach consumers where they are, no matter what platform they're on and um, build this sort of like social space, social third space in the digital realm. I'd be interested if given the, um, the recent issues with Activision Blizzard and Chinese publishers that we, we see an opportunity maybe for Tencent to come in and be the one to help them move over. I mean, I know there was quite a few IPs that, uh, especially on the Blizzard side that kind of got pulled from, from the Chinese market, as well as like, there's stuff from the Activision side that's kind of contentious, like with the new Warzone mobile and stuff like that. Do you think there's an opportunity here for Tencent to kind of be be their uh, their date over there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll continue to be pretty well positioned as like the partner of choice for imports. Um, and but that I think is different from, you know, kind of treating them as like a co-developer for games around the world. And if anything, I think the trend has been more the other way recently where, um, you know, companies like Activision and EA are leaning more away from working with these these big co-development teams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the cross-platform point is spot on. And that's not just going to be a Tencent thing. That's just going to be like a wave across the industry. But I do expect that we probably will see maybe less of that code development bent, although it certainly will exist. It's just going to be harder to lock that down with some of these like the biggest Western publishers, it seems. But maybe that pendulum will continue to swing. Um, so we might see less of that. Also, I suspect we'll see less of the such like rapid fire of M&A and investments. And that already has slowed down. I just have a hard time seeing that come back. Like even if the the market 
um, becomes more vibrant again for Tencent to operate that same way. Like it's just like a different industry. It's a different um, geopolitical environment. Um, and maybe they can still continue to be part of investments. But even that, there's more competition in you know VC space and such these days. Um, but yeah, the thought of them conducting like much bigger acquisitions, like if you know they were to acquire Riot Games today, like I don't know if that would happen. Like I don't probably not. Um, and so that that could kind of put a hamper on some of their M and A abilities compared to the past going forward. Which means that if like the partnership angle and the M and A angle are maybe less drivers than they were in the past, then what they have to lean more into is like the building and publishing themselves. And so I suspect that on top of the cross-platform trend, we'll probably see more games that Tencent makes for its own domestic market be taken to other parts of the world more. And I don't know, I guess it'll probably be a mixed bag of how well those companies perform. And, you know, Tencent has its whole, you know, long list of publishers and development teams too. Um, So you can't just treat it as one monolith. Um, But I think we'll see that. It might be published under like various names that will come up to make it appear like it's not from Tencent um, or or a Chinese company or something like that too. I think we've already started seeing a little bit of of that. And then the last thing that I do think we'll see more of is the trend of them creating more studios around the world, um, which... Uh, I think they've already started this a bit with kind of like offshoots of like Lightspeed, for example, like new studios um, in North America, at least that are making new AAA console PC games. Um, So I'm curious to see what comes of that. But it wouldn't surprise me if if they do more of that, which is a higher risk activity than just M&A where you throw money at something that you know works and it already generates revenue and profits. Um, But if you do it this way, it is higher upside if it works. and I suspect that it also will just completely skirt regulatory <laughs> scrutiny compared to deal making as well, where they still own the full thing. They'll still get full benefits. Um, but because it's, you know, Western talent making games for the West, it just won't. The narrative won't be the same. So I do suspect we might actually see quite a bit of change. It doesn't mean that all of the levers are going away or that they'll lean into any particular ones fully. But um yeah, I think it's it's fascinating to see that evolution and how that might play out. To your point, Aaron, around um, exporting some of their domestic games abroad and looking for growth there. Um, just two weeks ago, PocketGamer.biz, Honor of Kings becomes Brazil's most successful free mobile game. Um, so, you know, Honor of yeah. Kings is their like massive MOBA um, and they brought it to Brazil and it's like, you know, it's it's this massive game. Two million pre-registered players before launch, um, at least in terms of downloads, not necessarily revenue. But I mean, there's a, a good data point for your thesis right there. Uh, I'm also curious, maybe tangentially to to that discussion. Um, just your pulse. You know, having worked in studios, Felipe. You know, help, helping run one. Um, kind of the sentiment around bringing games to China has obviously shifted over the past few years and it's mainly just shifted more negatively just because it hasn't been allowed right so what's the point of thinking about it and going through the the hoops if it's probably not going to work anyways but if the the government starts allowing more import games 
do you think that we'll see a rebound in teams wanting to partner with a Tencent again to bring the games to China if they're not necessarily like investors? Um, or if, do you think that ship has largely sailed and like the flurry that we've seen in the past of bringing games to China, that's mostly a remnant of the past? No, I think it could it could uh, get back. I think the like uh, Chinese market is quite big, right? And and the, there are opportunities to 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 get there, but it's really tough for a Western uh, developer to 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 completely by themselves. So they need to partner with with somebody, and definitely Tenten is somebody that knows very well how to do that, right? So I think definitely that could happen again. Do you think the the uh, slowdowns in approvals? Uh, caused a, a bit more of the other side of things where uh, they're like, hey, we can't release in China, so let's start looking elsewhere. And beyond just even Tencent, like that that slowdown caused everyone kind of developing China that needs to release stuff to start looking at how do we then end around China? How do we release to other markets like Western markets, especially when you see big pushes like Engine Impact, stuff like that, to the point where maybe that uh, becomes the irreversible trend and maybe China actually, uh, you know, the CCP actually hurt themselves from preventing uh, by, by preventing games from coming out to the point where maybe there's just less interest even from the local market in doing so. I don't think the CCP cares, <laughs> to be honest. I think they would rather everyone put away video games and start, you know, building semiconductors or something. Um, so I, I don't know. I have a feeling the battle could continue. I don't really have a, a great take on kind of the first part of your question, but I don't think the CCP is really worried about shooting itself in the foot or not regarding games. Well, hopefully, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt the Chinese market. You know, they're still able to get games that they want to play, right? Because uh, it may not may not hurt uh, CCP, but it definitely could hurt the the local players and having something. Yeah. Play. I mean, it just it makes me think of like the situation with South Korea and Web three games, where you know they have to look to publishing stuff outwards, and even if like suddenly um, they start to allow Web three games there, there's already so much push outwards that. You know, you wonder, uh, would that actually even switch if they were suddenly allowed to do more locally? I mean, there was a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of game studios that suffered from the lack of uh, the approvals to the point where I think there was you know, quite a few smaller ones having to shut down because they weren't able to develop. So, and you, you wonder where that talent went, right? Is it a possibility that that shifted over to some of these bigger companies like Tencent? Um, or did it just move on to other industries? Probably both. But yeah, that is a good point because even though Tencent, their growth was flat over the past year and even the the quarter. I think there's a pretty clear case to be made that <laughs> that you know they gained share domestically. Um, and if, I mean, if you're going to have a game approval freeze last for over a year, really, you can't like as a startup, as like an early stage company, either looking to start it or running it, you really can't operate in that space easily, at least. And so. Um, I'm sure it was a major disincentive for a bunch of you know more founder types and just talent um, to to not you know push forward in that industry, which leaves Tencent, who has the big games and the big IPs, um, you know, in a very very firm position, even though they have their struggles too. Well, we've also got a pretty cool announcement we were teasing at the end of the last episode, uh, where we've got a, a new game, sort of. That was uh, announced around GDC. It was a pretty big deal there. If you want to dig into that, Felipe. Yeah, so excited to to share this because I'm a long-lasting player of Counter Strike. So finally, we got the number two of Counter Strike after four games. Is the first one with a number two. So it was uh, announced uh, last week. 
Uh, the full game is expected to release in, in summer 2023, uh, and it will be released as an update to Counter-Strike GO, a global offensive, rather than uh, another game that uh, is out there at the same time of a uh, global offensive, and they, like, they, they coexist. So it's going to be an update to to CSGO. And they announced some key interesting, uh, three key interesting features. Uh, so three main changes. The first one relates to smoke grenades. So now they are more dynamic, volumetric. They, they behave like more naturally. They, they expand to fill the space uh, in a more natural way. They interact also with the lightning. Uh, so it's the lighting. So it's, it's quite interesting. And also, they are responsive to the player actions. So if you shoot uh, through the through the smoke, you create a hole and then you can see through it. And also they interact with with other type of, of grenades. So quite interesting to see that it's not just uh, visual changes that uh, they are adding, but also gameplay changes. Um, another change uh, that also relates more to to the to the gameplay uh, or the playability is that they are. Uh, changing the way that they evaluate the world and the act player actions. So before they have a discrete uh, way of uh, evaluating this and discrete intervals. And now they, they announce that they are going to disruptic uh, world evaluations, meaning that uh, what you see in the game is exactly what happened. And there are no like corrections uh, based on like the communication with the server. So that's going to enhance the the playability of the of the game, and finally they announced visual changes to to maps of different depth. So the ranging from like just pure visual changes, so nothing else changes. So players can evaluate the changes in the in the game with the new uh, engine uh, on that on those maps to a full uh, overhaul of maps that uh, make profit of all the improvements on, on this new engine that will be also available for for players to create uh, new maps. Uh, so all, as they, uh, this is released as an update, players will keep their items, which well, makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, and they say that these items could look even better with the new engine. And this announcement indeed arrives when... Uh, CSGO is thriving. So concurrent, concurrent users peak last weekend. Twitch views are also close to all-time highs and uh, other engagement factors like Google Trends also have peak during March, uh, although there is still like incomplete da- data because we haven't finished the, the, um, the month. Uh, at the same time, they have opened uh, a beta for a selected group of lucky players. So I was checking myself. I'm, I'm not in, uh, unfortunately. Um, so you have to enter the game and see if you received uh, this message to, to, to participate in the beta. It's only available on Windows right now. Uh, and that's probably why some people could could say that no, that's why the concurrent players peak last weekend. But it's true that uh, the concurrent players have been growing in the in the last months. So for me, it's, it's exciting news because uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to be able to put my hands on on the game. But uh, I don't know what are your take on this. Like, do you think that they needed such a big update now that CS:GO is is working so well and it's still growing. Uh, maybe I'm a bit conservative here, but I don't know. There are also maybe some risk involved in, in this. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I can I can kick it off. I 
I mean, maybe the timing doesn't have to be now, but it makes sense that they'll have to bite the bullet, so to speak, to to you know modernize the game at some point. So so why not now? In some ways, and it seems like they have, from what I've seen, they've done a pretty decent job of mitigating the risk and treating it like an update where everything important to players, I think, ports over. Um, so it shouldn't actually be too disruptive. Um, but, and, you know, some of the the changes, uh, like, to the gameplay itself, like, it wouldn't surprise me if the response is a bit of a mixed bag, especially at maybe, like, the most competitive end of things. Actually, I, I would be curious, I don't know if you know, Felipe, or, or anyone, like, what the response from players has been so far. I haven't paid too close of attention. Are people generally, like, very excited, or is it sort of wait-and-see mode? Do you know? Well, I would say that there is uh, excitement because there are a lot of people, like, looking for for these and like searching on Google and Google about it so we can see that in the Google Trends uh, there are I think a mixed uh, bag of comments but you also know that people that complain that the, the the louder so it could be that just like uh, people just like complained and these are the ones that uh, you you realize more um, but I don't know I think like uh, if it's only a visual change, I think that well, it's re- more, less risk involved, right? But th- when you change the gameplay as well, there could be some players that are a bit uh, like um, not happy with that, and uh, they don't know until they play, right? So probably this is what they want to to assess with the with the beta, right? They they get players to start playing, and they can see like because I think that the for those players they could choose whether to keep playing uh, CS:GO or Play, play the beta so then maybe they can check uh, the engagement and see if like they are enjoying more uh, the changes um, I don't know like when when Source was, was released and uh, there were many people complaining that that's not like a good update uh, of the game and they were keeping playing CS 1.6 so I don't know if that could happen again like they, they, they still believe that the, these changes are not going in the right direction I like them very much I think like that they they will be very fun to, to play like that. And they, they give like uh, more ways to strategize, especially as a team. So I take them like positively, but let's see. Let's see how, how the, one, the people uh, One issue that I've, that I've heard come up is uh, around changing to an engine with much higher system requirements than the original because Counter-Strike is one of those games that has you know infamously been an eSport game that works on much lower end computers than you know some of the modern stuff like Call of Duty and things like that. So, I mean, do you think that might potentially be an issue where, especially maybe in developing countries or other areas where it's much more difficult to to get higher end PCs, that this might actually end up? Because I don't think you're going to have like a choice, right? Like if they force everyone over, you're either going to be playing CSGO or you're not going to be at that point. Uh, that that might be an issue where they start losing out on players here rather than grow. Yeah, that's what, one of the other things that I was considering when saying like, okay, maybe I'm playing a bit conservative, but the, the game is still growing and there could be things that are not, uh, favorable for for the audience that they have already, right? And there could be players that either don't like the update or that they can't play smoothly the update, and they start like uh, they they start losing players, right? So that's why I, I was considering that it was like kind of a risky move. It's true that we, given the economy they they built, if they release CS2 as a separate game, they are like going to split the audience, and maybe they are going to split the value of the items that players have. So I think like. Yeah, it's not maybe an easy solution to to this. Uh, and, uh, it's quite interesting. I get the sense that this is something that only Valve can do. Um, 
uh, you know, I'm not a CS player, um, so take this with a grain of salt. But if EA spent X number of years updating Battlefield or Activision spent X number of years updating Call of Duty and the big headline was check out this new smoke grenades, um, they would be absolutely skewered. Like, what have you been doing all this time? Um, so, you know, again, it's there. These are completely different types of shooters. But to me, is like, it's just an update, you know? Okay, that's cool. Um, but like, only Valve could get away with this. If, it couldn't be like some AAA massive publisher where they have a yearly release of the, you know, whatever flagship shooter is. And they, they, they wouldn't be able to lead with something like this. And to me, this is like not a huge deal. But again, I'm not a CS player. So take that with a grain of salt. They, they mentioned that they are going to, to have more uh, updates, but they, these are the only ones that, that they announced. And I, I think it was also funny that they did this announcement at the same time that uh, uh, Epic was uh, having their update in, in the GDC. So I don't know, it just was uh, a move to, to like, have an impact there. Yeah, and I was also speculating that maybe this this is comes like to prepare the game to to be more or to be playable in in the Steam Deck. Uh, so I don't know if that's like also one one of the strategies here, like uh, change the engine to make it work better in Steam Deck, and then they cancel more more decks. Yeah, well, so, I mean, if Call of Duty's coming to Switch, I mean, <laughs> maybe we gotta put CS <laughs> on the Steam Deck. Um, I'm I'm only half joking, but I think it will almost certainly come to Steam Deck, right? Like they have to. This whole thing makes sense to me. I mean, like Matt, you're right. Like it's just an update. I mean, and it is like, so maybe it's not as big of a story as the media is making it out to be. But at the same time, I mean, it is a big update for a big game that has had a, a, like an amazing decade of, of steady growth and like continuing to top the charts on steam and so making sure they do it right is important but i mean i think everything you you laid out felipe of like how they've ported everything over how they're handling the beta it seems like they're super aware of that um and they're taking the steps they need to to mitigate whatever to learn about however to mitigate like any damage that's done and once the the update fully rolls through i think it'll my guess is it'll just be back to business as usual i don't know how Counter-Strike is positioned for the next decade of shooters. I think that's like a different <laughs> conversation of like whether it can last the test of time and just with how Counter-Strike works compared to how something like Call of Duty has evolved pretty greatly or even how like we see like a Fortnite now, like uh, like evolving in even crazier ways with its whole like creative mode and things like that. So my feeling is that like, yeah, it'll just continue to be business as usual, but the the innovation with Counter-Strike is kind of less than what where we're seeing elsewhere in the market. So as like its importance in the shooter market, even though this is cool, is probably going to, I would guess, wane a bit over the 2020s. Well, speaking of uh, epic and evolving, uh, despite... CSGO to stealing a bit of the thunder, as you mentioned from the presentation. We still had a lot of stuff uh, come out of Epic. Do you want to dig into that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a good segue. So so Epic definitely had a big GDC, a couple of big announcements relating to uh, Fortnite. So the first is that they've released, Epic has released the public beta for Unreal Editor for Fortnite, um, which is a version of Unreal Editor that 
players can use to create and publish experiences directly into Fortnite. So you have a lot of those engine tools that can now be used directly in Fortnite. Um, and uh, the other big announcement, which we'll come back to in a moment, is that Epic is going to be sharing 40% of all Fortnite revenue with creators. Um, so let, let's go back to the, the Unreal Editor bit for a moment. So um, I'm just going to read a quote here. This will sound very on brand for Epic. Um, These tools are where Epic's road to an open, connected metaverse begins. Uh, So they're really leaning into this um, uh, creator UGC uh, aspect of Fortnite. Um, And, you know, that's very much in line with the way that things have been going. Um, You know, I was reading some of the um, press releases on this, and they've stated that nearly half of all Fortnite engagement is currently taking place on user-created content already, um, which is pretty impressive, right? For um, you know, this game is now about six years old. Fortnite it came out in 2017, and so um, they've needed to shift. You know, battle royale and shooters generally have stagnated a little bit, um, and they've been able to stay relevant through this creator economy piece, but also through their, you know, their general like pop culture integration with all these IPs and just kind of staying in the conversation. Um, so I think that's really interesting. They're basically making the creative, uh, the, the creator process in Fortnite more accessible and more robust. Um, and then on the other end where they're now sharing uh, a bunch of this revenue, 40% of all Fortnite revenue with creators, um, you know, I view this as sort of like a shot across the bow at Roblox, uh, which we can get into a little bit because they they seem to have a much less favorable uh, revenue split with their creators. Um, but just to dig into this a little bit, so um, Epic is going to share forty percent of Fortnite revenue with anyone who designs islands in the game, and an island, as I understand it, is like a user created you know level or or mode. Um, and this includes um, any any of the money that Epic earns from purchase of the V Bucks, which is their in game currency, uh, real money that's spent in Fortnite on like starter packs or quest packs. Um, and also uh, subscriptions, Fortnite crew subscriptions. Um, so you don't necessarily have to spend the money in your created island. It can happen elsewhere in Fortnite, but it will still be shared with you. Um, and then the sharing is based on like, I don't think they they laid it out exactly, but I think it has to do with like engagement and player count in your specific um, island. So there's a lot there. Um, why don't we just start by talking about like what do we think about this these moves by Epic, and do we think that um, this um, emphasis on creators and the creator economy will give a boost to Fortnite over some of their competitors, whether it's Roblox or Call of Duty or you know name an MMO? Um, do we think that this is this will give them a boost? Well, I think content is very important for for this type of games, right? So uh, making sure that the content get, gets better and better and incentivizing that, I think that that's what keeps players there, right? Like finding new experiences or making like new ways of playing. We would just talk about Counter-Strike uh, before, right? Counter-Strike started as a mod of Half-Life. So enabling the, the players to create this, I think uh, will foster better better experiences. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, I when I was reading about this, I saw um, a stat that said 
like approximately half of the time people spend in Fortnite is already in like creative modes, which I thought was interesting. That was that was a lot higher than I actually thought it would be. Um, so, but I think that says that like this is an audience is ready for for the creative mode to go to another level. So I think that is exciting. Um, maybe one like read between the lines point on the 40% number that I've, I've seen critiqued is that I don't know if that 40% will all go to external creators. It goes to anyone who creates an island and Epic itself can create an island. And so I still think there's some fuzziness on like, like how exactly that plays out. Uh, like did like, I, I don't, how much of that is Epic themselves going to take or not? I don't know. Also, I have a feeling they picked 40% because they're in, you know, like legal disputes with all of the app stores out there who take 30%, you know, or <laughs> so they probably wanted to pick a different number. Uh, so I don't know how that goes, but in general, I'm really excited for this. Tim Sweeney has long said that Fortnite is a game that's going to become a platform. And like, this is the moment really like where that is happening. And it looks cool from what I've seen. I think they've done a good job kind of setting it up. And I want to play around with it more and kind of spend some time and various experiences to like really get a feel for like, I guess like the quality of like what thing, what people can really make. Um, But it seems differentiated from Roblox. Um, and yeah, bigger picture. I mean, I think there can be room for multiple winners, but this should expand the market for UGC as a whole. And we've seen a ton of companies try to compete and carve out their own um, you know, niches in this market. You have like the Manticores of the world that are out there and you have other even earlier stage companies that haven't launched yet. Um, and of course, you know, the Web3 players like a Decentraland or Sandbox too. There's a ton of people with big UGC dreams, but they all face like the cold start problem, which is like, how do you kickstart your network effect of users and developers? And there are so few companies that can really pull that off. Roblox was able to bootstrap that from um, you know, being an early mover there. But yeah, Epic just has so many advantages coming into the space from the developer side and the user side. Like it's a it's a no-brainer that they can like jump, jump in quickly um and make their mark on the industry uh pretty rapidly, I expect. So so yeah, still a lot of questions on how exactly it plays out, what the experiences will be, like who will be attracted to it. Will they attract more professional developers in the same way Roblox did? I don't know. Um, but I'm really excited to see this play out. It's a good point, Aaron. I wanted to to sort of double click on that bit about developers. Um, you know, it just sort of struck me as you were talking. Um, you know, Roblox, you have to code in their Lua language, uh, whereas you know we're talking about Fortnite is just an extension of Unreal, which many many developers already use, and so maybe there's less of a learning curve or an adoption curve for let's say a third party studio to come in and build these UGC experiences and try and build a business on top of it. Like, do we think that we'll see some of this professional developer, um, you know, engagement in the Fortnite creative ecosystem in the same way that we have seen with Roblox or Minecraft or some of these other ones? Eventually I would guess if it works, I think that they won't be the first, first adopters. Um, but if it proves that what people create is used and they're making money, then I could see them 
coming eventually the same way they did with Roblox. The other thing here too is that like I think the economics of the UGC industry itself might change just by having more players. So, I mean, you could look at like ride sharing as like a random um, example, uh, kind of analogy where when you have like an Uber and a Lyft competing with each other, for example, um, it it's, you know, it skews the market a bit. They have to start competing for users and user acquisition in a way that, you know, Roblox probably hasn't really had to do that because it's been the one-stop shop. Um, and they have to start competing, you know, in the same way that the ride-sharing companies have to compete for drivers. Well, UGC companies might now have to actually start competing more for developers. And obviously, like a percentage cut is a big, important part of that. But I think there are other factors that will come into play, too, that it's just like the competition for competing for both sides of that network effect um, should pick up. And that probably will have like in terms of the unit economics, like a worse, like it'll lessen the economics of UGC as a whole um, from the unit economics basis, but probably still lead to a larger industry as a whole. So there's definitely some give and take in there. But yeah, I'm just curious to see how once this really goes live and like it finds its footing, how we start to see the industry itself start to shift as it gets more into competition mode. Speaking of which, the, there's an interesting point of comparison, I think, with Roblox um, that, that I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are on, which, um, I mean, the the whole idea that Epic will actually be a competitor now on this, and I believe they mentioned that like this was actually their plan for revenue going forward, was to was to be, be part of that creative economy and actually pull from that 40% they get there. Although, I imagine the other 60%, you know, they're always getting either way, so, like, they, they you know, they have a, a good backstop there, but... I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Roblox, you know, competes with their own developers within the game and builds a whole bunch of games as well. So this is like a little bit of an interesting situation where the company itself is now competing with other developers. Like there's the pros and cons, right? Because the pro is that they're dogfooding their own tools, making sure that these like are things that are going to work. Whereas Roblox is notorious for having a bit of a janky tool tool set and workflow. And as you mentioned, Matt, you know, like this is Unreal Engine, like this is this is an engine they've been developing for a long time, very familiar with. So they have a little bit of you know extra knowledge of how to utilize it, but they also will be developing with these tools, building these up in a way that I think will be natural for developers since they will be one. But at the same time now, like if they're competing with, you know, small time, like they've got their huge staff and, and ability to execute on content versus like very small people coming in trying to create, but then you've got maybe like other developers coming in. Like how do you see that playing out with Epic actually competing in this economy. It's an interesting thought exercise, right? Like um, the devil is in the details with how they share the revenues. So if that's one question, right? Like is Epic eligible to earn their own revenue share, but also they control the discoverability as well. And so you could end up theoretically in this like Amazon situation where you have um, someone who controls the search, but they're also filling the search results with their own stuff. So, you know, is Epic going to prioritize Epic made uh, creations in the discoverability and therefore, you know, shut out some of the smaller creators? This is all hypothetical, but uh, it's a it's a really interesting thought exercise. Um, and, you know, we'll see. As, as I said, the devil's in the details of how they arrange this. It's not new, right? Like they've, like Unreal has been competing with Unity. <laughs> for a very long time. And that's always sort of been like the difference between or one difference between the two of them too, where, you know, Unreal has Fortnite 
And Unity doesn't produce any games. It's just purely making the tools for everyone. And it seems like, you know, both companies have found their position quite well. So I think it'll just be a matter of framing. And my guess is that the Fortnite team, uh, or at least, you know, probably like leadership among the company, they want uh, Fortnite to turn more into a platform and like decreasingly compete um, with other creators. And then I don't know where they go from there, but that's kind of my hunch. And if anything, like Fortnite being worked on is what is a driver for all of the traffic to go to the other creators on the platform as well. So if anything, I would hope that the creators are cheering on, you know, Fortnite getting better (laughs) in some ways. But yeah, it is the devils of the details, Matt, you're right. I guess if we're looking at like uh, Manticore games, which uh, Epic, I believe, is invested in, um, and, and you know, is on their platform as well and stuff like that. The uh, the, the interesting point is is that Manticore, you know, develops a bunch of their own games as well as part of it, right? But that is actually a positive thing because they're, I mean, they're not competing economically the same way, right? Although they they could be right because they could be competing for in game spend and stuff like that. But they also end up being like flagship. Uh, like examples, right? So that people can look to, here's what you can build with the tool. Um, here's like good initial experiences when you come in. So to your point about discoverability, Matt, it'd be kind of interesting if like, uh, just to start with, right? Like Epic's pushing their own stuff only because it's like, hey, when you want to come try out these different experiences, we want to make sure we have a couple of good ones for you to start out with. So you get like a good first impression and then you can kind of explore a bit more from there and like treat it as sort of entryway ones. But then, like, do they phase that out at a time, or do they go like, "Ah, we want to make sure we want to keep a few pinned there, so that we have a little bit of flow." But to Matt's point, like, it it is like they probably should be spending a lot of time as well on Fortnite itself to to continue to bring people in instead of seeing it as like, "Well, let's just go a whole hog on you know making stuff for the creator mode." They've got to kind of divvy between the two, and it's an interesting point to be in because Roblox again doesn't have to develop a game as well. Uh, they don't have to maintain a game, but they also aren't making the kind of money that Fortnite has been able to do so. So I imagine they've got like the team to be able to keep keep that up. But this is interesting too because it's part of like Tim's big metaverse play, right? Like this isn't just a game and a platform. This is meant to be like entryway into quote unquote metaverse stuff, uh, where they believe you know that a metaverse isn't one product, but that this could be a very good candidate for being in a, a sort of entry product for people to get into that space. Especially if they're continuing to do these IP collaborations and maybe they start doing deeper um, sort of partnerships where it's like, oh, we've created this custom experience just for Marvel, just for you know Gucci or whoever they're working with. Like they can't go too far in one direction lest they sort of um, push aside some of the existing business partnerships that they need to prioritize. Um, so maybe those get prioritized in creator mode discoverability, or maybe that goes back into the main experience where they have to set aside creator for a little bit. I don't know. You know, we'll see how it plays out, but they have a, a number of competing priorities, let's say. Well, speaking of which, uh, I believe they also have uh, some rules against IP usage, uh, in the creator mode. So that could be an interesting point of contention is like, will Epic be the only one then really kind of allowed or able to make the deals to sort of be able to do anything IP wise in the space? Because, uh, you know, p- other people are going to want to do stuff like that where they're going to want to like bring in IP, but that's like strictly prohibited. Like you have to have, uh, you know, permission to do so. But then it's like, well, how do you prove that to Epic that you've, uh, you know, made that deal and that you have that permission? So it gives a huge advantage to utilizing IP and partnerships in the space as well. 
And so that might be a big thing because, you know, if they're pushing for like a metaverse idea going forward, if you've seen Ready Player One, most of that metaverse is IP usage, right? That's that's the idea is that it's that's what makes it so interesting is all that, that IP cross-pollination stuff that Fortnite already has. But then it's like, if the games can't do that in the creator mode, then does that kind of stunt some of the growth of this? Um, do we almost need one that's a little more pirate friendly and underground and stuff like that for people to be able to do crazy stuff? We've, we've definitely seen a lot of IP, for example, come into uh, to Roblox, but that was voluntarily, right? Like these IPs were like putting stuff in there, but it, it'll be, I think, an interesting space to look at going forward, whether or not that matters, because we know uh, Epic has definitely been, like you said, a, a big push on that in Fortnite, but I, I don't know. It's going to be a, a tricky space. I think in general, from a legal standpoint, how they deal with that outside of just straight takedowns. Anyways, well, I wanted to thank everyone for joining today. A lot of, a lot of great topics, a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, a lot of stuff I, I imagine came out of GDC that will slowly roll forward as well, that we'll end up talking about likely down the road. Well, thanks everyone for joining today for this roundtable, And we look forward to seeing y'all next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.